3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to Monday Breakfast on 3CR. You're with Rob and Grace. Hi Grace, how are you? Good morning Rob, how are you? Good, Um, thank you. Really tired, apologies if my voice sounds a bit hoarse and... Sleep deprived because I just came back from a concert just about a few hours ago. They Taylor Swift concert, the mm. last day of her Melbourne show. She's going to Sydney, if I'm not mistaken, this mm. coming week. So yes, it was. She's got three. Is it three more shows in Sydney? It was three. Yeah, it's three more shows in Sydney. So it was a third day yesterday. I personally thought. She would be so tired. Mm. I guess it was the third one already, mm. but she killed it. She killed it. Yeah. It was really good. Uh, it's a. It was a four-hour concert. Like it wasn't just her for four hours. Like we had Sabrina Carpenter in like the first forty minutes, and then mm. after that, she came in at seven thirty, and it just went on for three out three and a half hours actually. Wow. Uh, crazy, kind of crazy how she didn't take a break at all. So, but it was really amazing. I enjoyed the concert very much. Really worth it. Because I was also actually in the middle as well of mm. like the entire MCG. So it was really cool. I could see everything. Mm. Although obviously I couldn't see Taylor personally. Yeah. All I see was just a really tiny figure in the middle on the stage. Yeah. But that's definitely Taylor. Mm. I can't believe I was there. Mm. But I, enjoy- I enjoyed it. So With like what? 87,000... I think it was 96,000 people, 96, but apparently people. they were giving more people to come in because I think you could fit about 100,000 in MCG actually. Right. So the people buying tickets last minute, really last minute, obviously you couldn't get the really good seats, you know, mm. but you could still somehow get into the stadium. And mm. I think that's what people are just wanting, honestly, just being in the moment. Yeah. So I think it was way more than 96,000. I think she, as she was like saying... Towards one of her intros, there was about 280,000 people in total from these three-day shows. So, that's crazy. Wow. That's crazy. So many people. It was a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was a lot of people. But yeah, everyone was having fun. Everyone was living the moment and enjoying the time in their life. So, yeah, that was the best part, I think, in my wow. opinion. Yeah. Wow. It just made all of us so happy. And yeah, thank God was... the weather was good as well. Yeah. That was the most important part. Yeah, so I was literally having a conversation with someone yesterday about mm. the Taylor Swift concerts, and they were saying that they, at least in their lifetime, they couldn't think of like a another cultural phenomenon that was so like yeah, just, it's just taken over like. But I had a, so much of the cultural like discourse. True, I I had a convo with one customer at my part time job just a few mm. days ago. Um, they were from the Michael Jackson era. So mm. they thought that, obviously, you can't compare Michael Jackson mm. and Taylor Swift, obviously. Uh, but yeah, when Michael Jackson came, it was also another cultural phenomenon. And 
yeah, it's just crazy when like obviously in this modern era now, we we would get someone like Taylor Swift, mm. and I think that's the biggest one that's we've seen so far mm. here in Australia, mm. and and well, for first, Melbourne, it, the first night was her biggest show ever. Yeah, I think this is her biggest show, biggest biggest show ever. Wow. She came here for Reputation, <laughs> but then it got even bigger with mm. the Eras tour, and yeah, it's just crazy. I think I think because of the fact that it's the biggest show that Melbourne has ever gotten in a very long time. Yep. So, yeah. And people love her. So, yeah. people love her. That's why we see this. Of course. And, and, yeah. But it's just really beautiful seeing everyone enjoy. And I think that's the best part that Taylor's concert could really bring. Yeah. Yeah. How was your weekend, Ralph? It's good. Um, pretty uneventful, which I was happy. I worked Saturday and then... Went to the protest on Sunday, mm. and that was literally it. Sweet. <laughs> awesome. Um, should we get to some headlines? Yes. Well, Victorian's largest public health service, Monash Health, is facing criminal charges over Indigenous women's hospital death. So this is... Fa- they are facing a criminal charge over the death of an Indigenous woman who took her own life while raising, receiving mental health treatment at Dandenong Hospital back in 2022. Just last Thursday, WorkSafe Victoria announced that they were going to charge Monash Health because they were allegedly exposing the patient to health and safety risk while in its care. The watchdog of workplace safety said the charge related to the patient when when, when she killed herself while receiving treatment. Uh, this is the this is the the death of the of as Ashley Sue Chatters, a twenty year old twenty eight year old Palawa woman in twenty twenty two. The victim was admitted admitted to Dandenong's hospital psychiatric unit in Melbourne's in Melbourne after calling the police. However, she took her own life four days later on the twenty fifth of February. So Monash Huff is facing a single charge under Section 23, Bracket 1, of the Occupational Health and Safety Act while failing to ensure, so far as is reasonably practicable, that person other than employees were not exposed to health and safety risk. The Monash Health spokesperson has said that the health service takes its responsibility about protecting all patients in its care with the utmost seriousness. This matter is listed for a file, filing hearing at the Melbourne's Magistrate Court on March 13. And just on the last Melbourne show of Taylor Swift's Eras tour, the Allen Labor government has announced new funding to the sound writing, songwriting and schools program song, called Songmakers by APRA MCOS. This will help over 1,400 students across 60 high schools in Victoria set to learn songwriting classrooms and connect with the music and industry. Locus artists and experts from within the music industry will visit schools to le- to teach Victorian students and hone their musical talents. These in-person workshops will be available for students in year 10 to 12. However, a pilot program that's going to be tailored to schools offering flexible wor- learning will be offered to ensure all students get the opportunity to produce and perform their own songs with guidance from mentors and music, music industry organi- organizations like The Push and Music Victoria. NASA Hospital has 
been officially knocked out of commission, a spokesperson for Gaza's health ministry has said. Nasser was the largest still-functioning hospital up until yesterday following a week-long siege and a subsequent raid. There are now only four medical teams, just 25 staff, caring for patients inside the facility, which was sheltering 10,000 people. During its siege of... During its siege, hundreds of patients and other Palestinians were forcibly removed from the hospital at gunpoint. Tickets are now on sale for the 2024 Marxism Conference, happening over the Easter weekend. The Marxism Conference is one of the biggest gatherings of revolutionaries, radicals and activists from around Australia and across the world. Three days of discussions, interviews and debates on key questions and themes for socialists, covering radical working class history, Marxist fundamentals, left debates and global struggles happening today. With our world entering a new era of accelerated climate crisis, economic chaos and rising imperialist tensions, it's now more important than ever for socialists and anti-capitalists to get together to discuss and debate ideas for a world in crisis. Lock in your spot to Australia's biggest socialist conference and grab your tickets now at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. Trans Family is a not-for-profit organization providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation, and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM here on The Breakfast Show with Grace and Rob. We're going to take a listen to Mercedes Anker of Uprise Radio, who spoke to Mohammed of the Sit Intifada on the first sitting day of Victorian Parliament of 2024, direct from the steps of Parliament House. So let's take a listen. The 6th of February was the first sitting day at the Victorian Parliament and also uh, for the Federal Parliament. And so down at the steps with the sit in Thafada, um, there was quite a few people, maybe three or 400 people down there showing solidarity with the Palestinian community. And um, I was lucky to talk to Mohammed from the sit in Thafada. Uh, we're down at the steps at Sit in Tafada for the first sitting of Parliament for 2024. It's the 6th of February and there's been probably about three or 400 people down here uh, supporting Angali Habba Muhammad and the crew here at the Sit in Tafada. Um, there was a, a point in time uh, that we were cl- uh, told that the public gar- gallery was going to be closed, uh, but I believe that that's going to be opened up now. But I'm joined now by Muhammad and we're going to be talking a, a bit about the weapons manufacturing in Australia and the complicity of Australian industry, industry, the Australian government and the Victorian government in this. And 
you know, we've always said that the first step to challenging the masters of war is to expose them. And so uh, I'm going to be chatting a little bit today with Mohammed about what that might look like. Thanks for joining us, Mohammed. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me, Mercedes. And uh, it's good to be here talking to you guys and to the audience and to uh, every single beautiful human being that is listening today. Um, it's a, an okay day weather-wise today, the 6th of February. We are here gathering at the front of the parliament um, for the Sit Intifada. Uh, today marks the 112th day um, for us sitting at the parliament. And uh, for those 112 days, uh, we haven't seen many politicians, unfortunately, come in and even have a conversation to the people, the people that they represent. Um, and um, it just gives us an insight on how complicit um, our politicians and the government in uh, the genocide. And uh, for some people, that is something maybe um, a little bit downing, but for us, it's alarming. And it gives us a strength to um, stand by humanity, stand by the Palestinian people and stand against the war machine, which uh, is unfortunately represented very, very heavily in the uh, stony land here. Mm, absolutely. And always has been. You know, there's, a, there's a long history of, of long-standing protest movements like the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in Canberra and a failure of politicians when that was set up. One of the police and the politicians to have it shut down really quickly and also a failure of politicians to ever come and sit with any of the First Nations people at the Tent Embassy and actually have a conversation. And, and I know that you've had um, some, some MPs come and talk to you, but for, for by and large, um, and then have, have not come to actually sit despite obviously being able to see the, the genocide that's happening in, in Gaza and against Palestinian people. And we know uh, in December 2022, the Victorian government did sign a memorandum of understanding with the Israeli Defence Force, in which is kind of an unprecedented move, um, rather than signing a, uh, an MOU with a state. And uh, a large part of that agreement, um, to my knowledge anyway, is around um, the, the free flow of trade and to, to encourage and bolster trade relations directly with the Israeli Defence Force. Um, and so we know that there are several companies in Melbourne uh, that are operating here in, in so-called Melbourne uh, within, you know, within a 10 kilometre radius of where we are at the steps right now. Um, last week there was a protest at HTA, Heat Treatment Australia, which is in Campbellfield. Uh, and so they undertake the, the heat treatment and processing for the parts that are made for the F-35s. Um, just down the road in Fitzroy, there's a tech company uh, that the computer systems have to run through for, to get those um, aircraft off the ground. And so what that memorandum of understanding means is that the Victorian government is directly complicit with the Israeli Defence Force in order to be able to bolster trade relations for new trade relations. We've got Plasan Australia, which is going to be opening a, um, a, an Australian subsidiary, which is a, an Israeli defence company that will be opening down um, in Avalon. And there's Hanwha Defence. And there's also Albert Systems, which is Israel's largest weapons company um, that has connections to HTA, uh, and to formerly RMIT. There are, you know, a lot of bigger com international companies that are um, cutting ties with Albert at the moment. 
But in terms of, uh, of the Australian government and Victorian government's complicity in the genocide is actually, you know, these, these sorts of deals and um, grants that they're allowing to these companies to happen. Yes, yeah, so um, this is actually like it should be a very, very alarming statement and facts um, to the Australian public. Um, and um, alarming in a way where the colonizer um, is arming another colonizer. And also, in a way, you have uh, the Australian government intentionally, in a wider sense, putting the Australian society as a whole in a position where it will be identified worldwide and that's including the Australian people. So the Australian government is putting the Australian society uh, in the map as a war machine supporter. And that's not what the Australian society and the Australian community is. The Australian people has always been known, and I'm telling you this from my experience, overseas, before we refused to this country, the Australian people has been always known as, you know, humble, friendly, nice, uh, people that like uh, to live, you know, in a, in a way where there is some form of sort of justice, there is some form of friend, friendship and mateship. And uh, when the world hear in the news that the Australian government is sending support to warships uh, to bomb Yemen or to, to, to be part of bombing Iraq or to be part of arming a genocide... That is something the Australian public should be extremely alarmed by because such a behavior from the Australian government is more harmful to the Australian public and the Australian society and the Australian image worldwide before it's harming also uh, to the people that are, you know, in the genocide. So um, where we are, what we are saying here, we are calling out the Australian public um, to stand by the people, the people who are representing uh, a, 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 an agenda or the, representing views on stopping, stopping arming the genocide, stop supporting the genocide, shut down those factories. Australia is, the Australian land is one of the uh, richest and Australian society, one of the richest societies in the world. We have a lot of other resources that we, we can respectfully and be minded with to uh, have enough for the Australian um, to live comfortably. We don't need to support genocide to, to make Australia you know, a, better, a better place. Make Australia a better place by not supporting wars, by not supporting genocide. If you, and I would say this to our politicians and to the public and the message is clear if you want a safe Australia cut all ties with Israel if you want a safe Australia stop arming genocide if you want a safe Australia shut down the coal minings shut down the war genocide supporting manufacturing machines shut them down we don't need them here we don't need them here. No. As much as you did stop. Uh, uh, so, for example, one of the great examples, examples about the society being safe is that 
people are not armed, not like America, for example. In America, buying a, a pistol or buying a piece of arm is as easy as buying a, you know, a biscuit. And uh, it's not a safe society. There is a lot of killing, there is a lot of um, crimes, and it's not making it safe. In Australia, we don't have that, which is, that's a good thing. But then, if you are supporting a genocide, that will make you unsafe in a whole different level. And uh, we need to tell the Australian government to start putting their work together because we're going to actually start doing the work to shift the power in this country mm -hmm. and to shift the voting power and the power to the people at the end of the day. They are the 1%, yes, but we are the 99%. And that power is going to shift because the awareness is shifting and this system and the colonizer has been exposed. Yeah, absolutely. And as you know, as long as they're doing this, they're you know supposedly doing this in our name as well. So we have a responsibility um, that as that that this government is is complicit, actively complicit, supporting the genocide, which is now you know internationally you know that in what they're breaching in international law, um, our government is complicit in, and we have the response. It's it's not just the right, but the responsibility. To stop this and we have to do everything that we can to stop it and and make the government accountable for this and that is a shift in power it is and to give the land back yes yes you need to give the land back and you need to stop your fake peace mm -hmm. because the australian government and the colonizer in general they have this you know uh, sort of standard where we're going to make it a peaceful society you're not making it peaceful society when you are involved in wars you're not making it peaceful like Albanese, he, comes, he came out some time ago, not long ago, you know, making a statement. It's like, uh, it's our duty as a government to tell the world that our involvement in the Iraq war, it was invalid. It was inappropriate. It was not right. Well, while you are telling the public that your involvement in the Iraq war is not right, as you speak, you are arming a genocide. Mm -hmm. So I mean, like, like this the hypocrisy is, yeah, is just just so crazy. Like, yeah. this is extremely alarming. You have the Prime Minister of Australia coming out, condemning the involvement of a previous government, which is part of his party, or maybe not. I'm not really sure. Whatever, but, both. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It long, it's long the same you know? same puppets at the end of oh, the day. Yeah. The same puppets. Absolutely. And you are condemning an involvement of a war that. As a cause of, it's killed more than one million people. Um, and you're condemning the involvement of the Australian government. And as you do so, you are involved heavily in arming a genocide that within 100 days, more than 100,000 people either uh, murdered, killed, slaughtered, injured, and misplaced in Gaza. So yeah. this is extremely alarming. And we need, we need to, and the people are, moving and making a shift to the power you see a lot more awareness you see a lot more movement into the streets condemning the australian government condemning the albanese government condemning both parties to tell a clear message to them that you are not taking responsibility and you're not doing your job well we have elected you to do your job to represent us to represent our society and this community to the whole world as the people who we are we are people calling for peace, calling for land back. We are calling for the acknowledgement, the official acknowledgement of the traditional people 
and bring, bring the land back to them as well. Every colonizer at the end of the day will fall. Every colonizer will fall, doesn't matter how long they will be colonizing. The colonized will rise up. And one of the traditional terms we have in Palestine, which has been called for some time in our rallies, it's called Intifada. And Intifada means uprising. And we believe in uprising. It doesn't matter, again, what the colonizer, how long they're going to last. The uprising by the people will come to a stand. And when that uprising comes to a stand, all land will be back to the people. So I'm calling, in, I'm calling through this channel to everyone that hear us. I'm calling every free spirit, every free soul, every free human being to start doing something. Boycott. Uh, organizations that support the genocide boycott uh, organizations that are complicit start talking to your MPs change the shift of power and movement with the elections start a new parties start a new collective party that is side by side with some voices from the green to actually start condemning those within the political structure and uh, I see it sooner than later that we will have the power back for sure and I see this land back one way or another it will be back by the spirit of the people and uh, not only here in Palestine and in every colonized land so um, and you can see it everywhere you can see the, the, the knowledge you can see the awareness and the power and the energy is shifting for sure <laughs> What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza, who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege, are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR.
dream just to watch him shatter You're just a step on the boss man's ladder But you got dreams he'll never take away And you're in the same boat with a lot of your friends Waiting for the day your ship will come in The tide's gonna turn and it's all gonna roll you away Welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR with Rob and Grace. Uh, that was, of course, 9 to 5 uh, live version, I'm guessing, by Dolly Parton, the iconic Dolly Parton. Uh, but before that, you heard Mercedes Zanka's interview with Mohammed of the Sit Intifada. Um, it was played on Uprise Radio, and it uh, the interview took place on the first sitting day of Victorian Parliament of 2024, directly outside the steps of Parliament House. That was a fantastic interview. We'll be back in just a second with our next segment. Tickets are now on sale for the 2024 Marxism Conference, happening over the Easter weekend. The Marxism Conference is one of the biggest gatherings of revolutionaries, radicals and activists from around Australia and across the world. Three days of discussions, interviews and debates on key questions and themes for socialists, covering radical working class history, Marxist fundamentals, left debates and global struggles happening today. With our world entering a new era of accelerated climate crisis, economic chaos and rising imperialist tensions, it's now more important than ever for socialists and anti-capitalists to get together to discuss and debate ideas for a world in crisis. Lock in your spot to Australia's biggest socialist conference and grab your tickets now at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR.
our favourite Texas singing cowboy, Charlie Crockett, returns to Melbourne this February for a huge night at the Forum. Charlie and his band, The Blue Drifters, will deliver another scorching night of timeless country classics and Wild West tales on February the 12th with country soul queen, Emma Donovan. Charlie Crockett and Emma Donovan at The Forum in February. Good times. Tickets on sale now. Love Police is a 3CR supporter. The revolution in Rojava is a beacon of hope for the world, putting direct democracy and feminism into practice on a broad scale. This radical attempt at social transformation now faces huge challenges, including daily attacks by the Turkish military with little outside recognition or aid. Show your support for Rojava by joining North East Syria Solidarity, or NEWS, NES, and help ensure the survival of this inspiring experiment in social change. NES sends aid, raises awareness, and builds solidarity. Get involved at www.nessolidarity.org.au. NES is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR. On Thursday last week, the New South Wales government released a discussion paper to allow for feedback on policy changes they see as potential fixes for the state's housing crisis, specifically its lack of housing supply. Currently, around 56,000 people are waiting for social housing in the state with a shortfall of what the New South Wales, New South Wales government calls 221,000 social house dwellings. We also know that it that since 2019, advertised prices of long-term rentals increased by 38%, and that in December 2023, vacancy rates in Greater Sydney were at a mere 1.7% below the decade's average of 2.3%. I'm here on the line with Harry Millward, the General Secretary of the Rentals and Housing Union, to talk about if this approach could ease the housing crisis in the state. Hi, Harry. How are you going? Hi there, Rob. How are you? Good, thank you. So, just uh, how much of this, how much of New South Wales uh, housing supply is dedicated to short-term rental accommodation? Oh well, um, because there's no register for uh, short-term stays, we we don't know exactly how much. Uh, we can sort of estimate, and we can sort of uh, look at. Um, Sort of the the what what comes out of the company, but there's there's no way to sort of look besides sort of looking at the listings. Right, right. And do you think that even if we don't know that, um, mm. would it would sort of be a surprise as to how many houses do or do not go back onto the market? Um, would you think that the New South Wales government would have a way of of knowing that? Uh, well, the, I, I don't know what they've got access to, but um, there was a study done looking at um, uh, across Australia uh, um, by by the number of listings in uh, individual dwellings. Mm. Uh, and, it, and it, it's a, a massive amount, uh, double the amount. It, it pretty much doubles the amount of uh, people on the waiting list for um, housing. Right. Uh, so at, at least 
back in, I think it was 2019 was the last time um, they they did this mm. uh, around that time. Uh, it pretty it pretty much uh, statewide and Australia wide. Um, you just look at the number of people on the waiting list for housing, and mm. it would pretty pretty much be double that. Wow, wow. So it sort of seems like it could make sense to bring them into the housing supply then. Oh, 100%. No, like if we, uh, if we banned public, uh, sorry, if we banned uh, Airbnb tomorrow, um, which I, I'm not specifically advocating for, um, we would have a, a home available for every person in Australia. Um, wow. So, yeah, there, there's, it, it, we, we do talk about supply a lot. There is actually the supply there. It's it's we don't have a lack of supply. It's a lack of available, uh, accessible and affordable supply. Right, right. Mm. And do you think uh, merely just taxing um, owners of Airbnbs would help to bring houses back into the supply? Look, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, we we appreciate that it's uh, it, it it is something that needs to happen, although um, we, we do have concerns that it, it's really not going uh, far enough. Mm. Um, so if, if you want to, uh, we, we, we need to see more regulations. Uh, Rafu would generally like to see the uh, short-stay accommodation market go back to being in primary residences only, so mm. not having entire homes listed uh, on Airbnb, but maybe uh, one room uh, for somebody who's mm. uh, travelling and wants to stay with some locals. Um, right now, we've got towers, at least in Victoria, we've got towers that are only Airbnb. It's... Um, wow. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it, it's a step in the right direction, but it's a complex issue but not so complex that it can't be tackled hard. It just needs uh, some strong legislation and it needs to be done in conjunction with a lot of other uh, things, such as building a lot more public housing. Mm. Um, public housing in Australia has been uh, falling for decades as a as a percentage of housing and um, sort of privatised uh, over time into... Uh, you know, um, uh, the uh, community housing and mm. other other sectors. Um, and we do hear a lot about affordable housing being invested in, but mm. um, there is no definition of affordable housing. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a very nebulous term. So um, there, there's a lot of issues that need to be looked at, but uh, we absolutely do believe that Regulating Airbnb is mm. a step in the right direction. Right. Can, can we just talk a little bit more about this um, descent into privatization that you mentioned? Um, you know, over the last recent years, how do you think has that sort of been legislated? Um, it seems to be the attitude of uh, most state governments at this time. Um, I. South Australia might be uh, an example of um, going in the other direction a little bit, but but mm. uh, I believe 
Canberra has the highest percentage of public housing, which is still quite low. Right. Um, every every state has below, I believe it's below 6% public housing, and Victoria is the worst, and... Um, uh, as far as far as that, and it's uh, a lot of it's being given over to um, either private or community housing, which offers a lot less protections uh, for tenants. And um, yeah, it's uh, the unfortunate case of housing under a capitalist system is that when um, when there is a Motive uh, that doesn't that isn't the the benefit of of people and uh, where people's human needs aren't put first and foremost it, it does um, lead to these problems and where we're seeing the pointy edge of that stick. Yeah, right. And you mentioned that um, Victoria um, is the worst for public housing supply. Um, yeah. The state also. And I mean Victoria. Uh, Victoria last year, I believe, um, mentioned that it would introduce similar legislation involving a seven point five percent levy on short stay accommodation, though it won't take effect until twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty five. Do you think that uh, both state governments are just pushing a real fix further down the line by announcing legislation that won't take effect for well, you know, months? I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't call this. Uh, this tax a real fix in and of itself. Mm. Like I said, it, it's a step in the right direction, and also, as you say, it's it's it is kicking the can down the road a long way. I understand that legislation takes time, um, but I I find it I struggle to believe that it's being taken seriously mm. when part of the the same plan is to. Uh, tear down public housing towers uh, and barely have a increase uh, for another um, thirty years. Right. Like it's we we need solutions now, and those solutions uh, need to be strong. They need to be short. They need to be short term, leading into long term. Like, sorry, they need to be immediate leading into long term and um, they're, they're going to piss off some some people who make a lot of money out of the sector being what it is and that mm. just needs to happen. Yeah. Obviously, a, a real part of the housing crisis is the the money that, that people who uh, either own or rent houses have to pay just to you know live in the house. Do you think that um, an injection like this um, that would, you know, in theory be caused by the the levy on short-term accommodation, would you think that it would just cause the price of houses to go up even more? It's it's hard to say exactly what it would do. Um, I imagine that the, uh, the fees, like the extra tax, will just be passed on to um, those who stay in short-term accommodation. Hmm. Um, what what is what is seven point five percent? You know, uh, it depends. Um, is it is is that that's based on the? I, I, I'm not um, I'm not sure that there is uh, a there's no direct proposal from 
uh, New South Wales yet on exactly how this this tax would work, mm. right? But it, it's uh, if you're if it's in a way that you can just pass on to the, um, I guess the the consumer, the the short stayer, then that that's just what will happen. Yeah, right. So you, you're thinking that it it might not necessarily lead to less Airbnbs and short term accommodation, but instead just m- more expensive short term accommodation. Well, I don't I don't see a reason to think it wouldn't. Yeah. The, the, the prices have gone up significantly um, since the uh, the introduction of Airbnb and other short stays into Australia. Um, right. I I remember when it was deemed as very affordable and it's uh, sort of veering into hotel territory Mm. uh, in certain places. Um, But that hasn't slowed it down. Slowed it down. It's still hugely Mm. profitable. Right. Right. I just want to finish up with this final question, Harry. Um, Just in your opinion and, you know, with the Rahu lens in mind, what, what do you think could be done, like, right now to address the housing crisis? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, we need to um, get some uh, rental controls in place. Um, they, they've been uh, successful uh, in many places around the world. Uh, we've even got uh, rent, some rental controls in, uh, in Canberra. Uh, that needs that that that's a that's a short term solution that that probably won't uh, be workable long term, but just something to give people some relief while governments push into public housing building and uh, also working out the best ways to legislate. Uh, Airbnbs into a way that is sustainable, uh, and and basically just make sure that everybody has a house before uh, before we start talking about you know houses being around for short term accommodation. Everybody should have long term stable housing, and um, that should be a human right. Um, it's it's a complicated issue just because of how messy it's become, um, and uh, there's a, there's a lot of tax incentives that people get to um, buy up more property. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that in the immediate term we do need a uh, a freeze on um, on rents, and uh, while while still continuing to explore. Legislation on uh, short stay short stay accommodation. Uh, why we while we look into more long term solutions. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, sorry. I wish I had a uh, a very quick, easy answer, but uh, <laughs> it's a very convoluted question. It was a very convoluted issue, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's not. It's not so much. It's not so much that uh, it it couldn't be done. It, it's just. Uh, would it be done under the the current system and mm. with the the amount of uh, lobbyists for um, for a property? I I I don't know, but right. um, if we're if we're if we're going to be serious about a solution, we need to put a, uh, a people first approach, where mm. uh, the we're housing every person 
is is top priority, and then everything else is secondary. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Harry. And um, yeah, of course, Pleasure. Um, we'll encourage our listeners to join Rahu and continue the fight to yeah. fix a housing crisis and yeah. build a, a stronger union of um, renters. Yeah. Well, we only uh, we only get anywhere by working together. Um, we're a, a volunteer uh, and member-led union. So um, if you're interested to see what we do, go to Rahu. R-A-H-U dot org dot au. Um, yeah. Pleasure, Rob. Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Harry Millward, the General Secretary of the Renters and Housing Union, talking with me about uh, New South Wales' pr- proposed uh, legislation to tax short-term accommodation owners and whether that would actually lead to... Um, even some kind of fix for the housing crisis. Of course, um, as Harry said, you can join Rahu to help build a stronger union of renters and, yeah, to collectively work towards a world where housing is not a commodity but a human right.
Welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR with Rob and Grace. Uh, you just heard Back to Black by Amy Winehouse, another iconic song from an iconic artist. And before that, you heard my interview with Harry Millward, who is the General Secretary of the Renters and Housing Union. And we were just speaking a little bit about um, uh, legislation that the New South Wales government um, is proposing and working on at the moment. And it, it suggests uh, adding a tax to short-term accommodation owners like Airbnb and stays um, as a means of potentially putting more houses into the market, I guess, or supply. Um, you can listen back to that interview on the 3CR website if you missed it or on the community radio app. Um, now we are going to play a, a very important interview which actually aired uh, on last night's episode of Queering the Air. Uh, they interviewed Frank Gaffer, who is a queer Aboriginal unionist who is speaking on the No Police at Pride campaign, the lack of engagement from Vicpol in the LGBTQI plus community issues, and a new community-led Pride happening next year. Let's listen. Do you want to start off just by telling us a bit about the campaign and, and who you are and what, what it's aiming to achieve? Yeah, so um, I'm Frank. I'm a, a Wawan Radri uh, man from New South Wales. Um, and um, I'm a long-standing queer activist. I used to do equal marriage um, campaigning when I lived in Canberra for a number of years when uh, the government still didn't allow us to get married. And so um, I've always been very, very active in the community and also in um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organising um, as well. And I'm a unionist. Uh, my background is union organising. Um, and so the campaign um, came about um, out of uh, a number of reports that happened over a sort of two to three year period um, starting in 2019. There was a Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission um, report that came out about um, internal issues within VicPol, uh, mm-hmm. specifically around um, members of the uh, queer community um, feeling unsafe and, and reporting high levels of discrimination within the police force. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, on from that, over the over the preceding years, there was a re- uh, ABS reporting around the fact that um, half of uh, people within the community um, didn't trust um, police. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was also finally a, a Victorian Pride Lobby um, report that came out that reported that three out of four people um, didn't want police to march in uniform um, mm. in Pride. Um, mm. And so one of the responses was that um, Vic Pohl ran a community forum at the end of um, 2021. I think it's always hard to remember years yeah. because mm. of COVID. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was 2021. <laughs> yeah. um, it happened. Uh, uh, but there was a forum that the police ran um, and um, there was, even with that forum, there was... Uh, community concern about the forum itself being inaccessible. So the police Mm -hmm. sold the forum as a way to engage with the community after all those reports had come out Mm -hmm. um, about there being a lack of trust. Uh, But the forum was run at the Pride Centre in St Kilda at three o'clock in the afternoon on a work day. Mm -hmm. And so it was already very inaccessible for people. Um, I took the afternoon off work Mm. um and you know but not a lot of other people could have done that um and uh you know the way that they fielded questions in that forum as well was um you know not really i I, my 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 firm belief is not really in good faith the question that i put down was rephrased um and asked in a very different way than i put it um and so 
Um, yeah, Hyderabad uh, is the other organizer on the campaign, and uh, they and I we um, talked with uh, community members and community organizations about um, what uh, should be done about about um, these sort of reports coming out of community, and that's where the original petition came from in mm-hmm. 2022. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and we got um, in that first year over a thousand um, signatures, and there was also um, an open letter as well. Um, written to Midsummer and then the government and Vicpol. Mm. Mm. Some really effective um, grassroots organising there. Yeah. So props to you and your comrades Thank for you. that one. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's a lot of evidence that, you know, you just said three out of four people don't want the police marching at Pride. There's been issues um, highlighted within Vicpol. Um, in the face of all this evidence, what has the response been from Midsummer? And other, I don't. You don't do work in yeah. Sydney Mardi Gras, do you? No, okay. no. So just midsummer. What's been the response from them? So in in previous years of the petition, we have um, had meetings with Midsummer. So we have had some conversations with Midsummer and um, reasonably um, open dialogue. Um, and we also did have some meetings with the um, LGBTIQ plus um, commissioner um, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. uh, when that position was filled. That position hasn't been refilled um, yet. Not yet. Um, and it's, been, it's a big shoe to fill. Yeah, and yeah. it's been a number of months, so hopefully they yeah. get that position filled. Um, uh, yeah, so we have had some open conversations um, with uh, Midsummer. Uh, Vic Poles never responded to the petition, never engaged with us, um, mm. which is which is a real disappointment. Yeah. Um, but um, on this year's petition, we've had um, I think over two thousand five hundred signatures. Now, when we submitted it to uh, Midsummer, there was uh, about eighteen hundred, maybe a bit more. Mm. Um, and this year, we've had no engagement from Midsummer. They haven't responded to us mm. uh, at all. Mm. Uh, neither of the government. Uh, for that matter. So, um, yeah, and I think um, over the years, um, you know, Midsummer, I know they released a statement um, after the Pride, or just before the Pride March this year, I think, talking about the work they have been doing in sort of moving the police, um, you know, incrementally um, to um, sort of participate in a better way within the march and so Mm. you know totally acknowledge that and that's sort of conversations that we had about the work that they were doing but um yeah i think recent um police actions and and events over the last few years have have shown that i don't know whether that's really sustainable to have incremental change Mm. Mm. so um when you said you don't want police at pride that means do you want completely no police at um the march or in a whole in Midsummer Pride Festival. So at the moment we're just talking about the march. Okay. So yeah. um, I think um, talking about police involvement um, holistically um, in Midsummer is a, a larger conversation. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know, one I think that should happen, but we really want to focus on the march, march. Um, at, at this point, um, mainly because um, the march is uh, in effect the original yeah. um, part of Pride um, mm-hmm. within sure. the community, and so you know all the other things. Like Carnival and the Pride Party, they're sort of add-ons, mm. but the march is actually the heart and soul mm. of Pride, and so that that's the thing that should be protected yeah. um, from from police involvement. Um, but you know, definitely, I think you know, in in future years, we should be open to having that conversation. Mm. Mm. It is frustrating because it feels like the community conversation has moved so far ahead mm. of what's happening in these organisations. Like, I feel like there's a lot of consensus on the ground about, like, this isn't what people want, yeah. and yet the higher-ups don't seem to be listening. Mm. So, yeah, it's frustrating. But 
I guess there's also been a lot of different opinions in the community about this as well. Like, mm. some people are saying, well, if there are queer cops or cops in the LGBT community, mm. shouldn't they be allowed to march as well? Are they not allowed to have pride? I mean, what's your kind of stance on that? Mm. So, we've been um, consistent right from the get-go of the campaign that we um, we're not saying that police as individuals can't march in the in the parade, can't be involved in pride. They're mm. members of the community as individuals. Um, I'm sure they play tennis or they play volleyball. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that they have Absolutely. more to their personality yeah. than yeah. just being a cop. Mm. Um, and so they don't need to participate um, as a cop, mm. you know. Um, I've never participated in a pride event um, with my employer ever. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm not too... I, I don't really understand the sort of um, argument yeah. that um, somehow your 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 identity is so mm. entwined with your employment. And maybe that's the unionist coming out of me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But I feel like your work is your work and your community is your community and you should be able to engage right. your community as an individual. Mm. Um, and so for those um, people who are making that argument, I think I put to them, you know, really have a hard think about... Um, is being a cop really all you have to give to the community mm. or are you actually a member of the community? Mm. I love that perspective because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, it really goes to show like just how, I mean, because another issue that's been spoken about as well is how corporatized it is mm. and how, and you've just said like, why are we so tied to our role in capitalism that, you know, we need to march with our yeah. employer? Yeah. Yeah, I think the police marching. I think it's getting smaller every year. I think it's a mm. lot smaller this year. Mm. Um, I guess is uh, we seeing progress, and hopefully they will be wiped out by you know hopefully next year. Yeah, well, we don't know see. that's going to happen, but we can only hope. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we we can hope, but unfortunately, I think it's about a week ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether you saw but Vic Pole. Um, have announced that they're going to continue to march, even though, yeah, even though, like I said, they haven't engaged at all. Yeah, with, with we the have petition. one year to, you yeah. know, to work on this. Um, mm. Yeah, but we actually announced um, <laughs> last week um, that we're going to um, actually do a counter mm. um, Pride March. That's the plan anyway. We're yeah. going to have more details that will come out in the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, but you know, we've made the decision um, in consultation with um, members of the community that. Um, you know, there's there's no real um, in good faith um, yes. engagement now. Mm. You know, like I said in previous years, there was a response. Mm. This year, there's been no response, and then just a firm announcement that they're going to keep doing what they're doing, um, and not really engage with the clear public outcry, um, and you mm. know, not really properly respond to the violence that happened mm. um, in this year's march as well. Yeah, I mean. Do you think with the protesters that could affect that um why they have been silenced on um on you? Um so do, do you mean I mean like, like you know the protest that has been going on for a couple of years now and then this year was I think the biggest one um yeah. that made to you know all media platform um does that protest maybe have affected where they actually won to do more at March now. They said they're going to be marching next year. Yeah. yeah. Instead of, you know, when they responded to or? you like a couple of years ago. Well, I, I think, um, you know, the only reason why protest is escalating is because police refuse to engage mm. Mm. Uh, properly. Okay. So I think, um, 
it's real, really problematic that a large amount of the media around um, Pride March this year has been um, about the protesters being mm. the, the violent actors and yeah. about the protesters being the problem and about members of the community being at Pride being mm. the problem mm. um, when, in fact, we should be talking about um, systemic um, police violence um, yes. against our community. So we only have to go back to last year when there were literal uh, Nazis on the street. Mm. Yes. Um, Protesting, Girl. protesting in yeah, inverted yeah, commas, yeah. Yeah. Um, about um, the existence of our trans comrades, mm. um, and literally the police reaction to that was to, um, you know, in in uh, there were many reports from the Melbourne activist legal support um, that you know uh, the police were um, biased yes. towards um, inflicting yeah. violence on um, yes. trans people at those protests um, rather than the Nazis. Yes. And so... They allowed um, them to salute. Yeah. Exactly and, right. And they were pushing the... And, you know, we had a conversation about yeah. this yes. when it happened, I remember, and they were saying, like, the police were, like, you know, having mm. a violent pushback on the rainbow rights yeah. protesters. Yeah. Mm. Instead of them. Instead of the yeah. neo-Nazis. Yeah. yeah. And I think in light of that, um, you know, when you think about that, just in 2023, it is people doing um, that outrageous and mm. grotesque salute in public, mm. being protected by the police. It is. Um, why? I don't know why we're surprised mm. there is there is a protest about the police being involved. I think mm. it's quite in, disingenuous of the police to act like they don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, very clear that they, they, they know what's going on and they don't want to listen. Mm. Of course. Mm. And I, I also really just want to say I loved your comment before about the media positioning the, the activists and the protesters as mm. the problem. Yeah. Because I totally agree. I don't think there has been enough kind of recognition that, like, all well, the aggravators have historically and in and, and present day, more often than not, mm. been the police. Mm. Um, but, yeah, yeah. And, and touching on that as well, it's... It is um, exciting to hear that there is going to be a community-led yeah. pride. Mm. What can we expect? What values are you hoping to embed um, to continue on from the traditions of pride, but also reinventing new ones? Well, it's early days. We only announced last week. But really, mm. I, I, I believe that um, the essence of pride is community and community involvement and community organising. And I think with um, the march um, in its current um, guise, especially with police involvement, mm. um, you know, it, it's moved away from actually being, um, you know, community-led um, and um, safe for community. So I think the main goal of a counter-march is to actually create a space that all community members can come and participate and feel safe and not feel threatened um, mm. and know that they're going to have community members around them who are going to protect them. Um, and so um, I think for me, um, especially being, you know, an, an Aboriginal person mm. um, and, you know, I, I, I've done a, a lot of um, work with um, people previously who um, have had bad experiences with police um, and I really um, feel strongly about um, making Pride a safe space um, for everyone. And so no matter what we do and what, what the counter-protest or, or march looks like, um, hopefully it'll be a space that people can take um, or retake ownership of. Mm. So, so no to pinkwashing, no to cops, yes to community um, it sounds really great. So good on you guys for, for <laughs> pioneering you. that. Yeah. And do keep us up to date. I want I want the details as they come out. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully, well, um, we have an Instagram page now, if I can give that a bit of a plug. So Please, if, yeah. if yes. people search um, No Police at Pride, um, we've got an Instagram page up and we've started putting um, updates on there, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll mm-hmm. pretty much uh, be trying to keep that updated as the year goes on um, to keep people involved. Um, and the goal as well is to actually um, actively involve community groups. Mm-hmm. And so we will be inviting community groups that are already um, involved in the march. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, we... we um, see extreme value in community organisations um, mm. uh, being, you know, actually representatives of the community um, rather than um, corporate organisations and the police. Yeah. And so mm. there's no... Um, we, we don't want to shut people out. Um, mm. We want to bring people in. Yeah. That, that's the whole point. Um, and so, yeah, the best way to keep up to date is um, the Instagram page. But, yeah, we'd be happy to come back on and have more of a chat about it in the future. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> You got neck brace, no problem. You got two left feet, can't catch that beat. Take a deep breath, cause I got this yo. For the vision and I'm down to ride Where the beat drop, damn me, you'll find And we still in the city, but the crowd gone wild Ooh, Yeah, keep it banging through the system Light it up, start it up like an engine Bars on lock, put the music freedom And the booty drum, go for up a bum bum Hey, okay, yeah, come I give you some, some, some of this, make it jump Do it just to do it, and I do it till it's done Connect with the sound, people over income That's team, that's why I get the picture That's us, that's mob, is you with us? Just be, yeah, the queen is in the building You better come correct if you're knocking at the kingdom Correct if you're knocking at the kingdom.
Welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. You're here with Robin Grace. Um, just then you heard Medigin Feed Jess B by Baker Boy. Very energetic, uh, great song um, to get you started on your Monday morning. Before that, you heard uh, an interview with Frank Gaffer, a queer Aboriginal un- unionist, who was speaking uh, with the crew at Queering the air about the No Police at Pride campaign, the lack of engagement from Vic Pol in LGBTQI plus community issues, and a new community led Pride happening next year. Um, there'll be more info about No Police and Pride and a the petition they have that they mentioned in the interview, and their Instagram handle will all be in the show notes. Thanks, Rob. Perfect. Now, we're going to be speaking to Sarah Sawish, who is the initiator of the Family for Palestine ongoing sit out, um, sitting, sitting outside the Prime Minister Albanese office action, bringing her Palestinian heritage to the forefront as a powerful advocate against genocide in Palestine. She's also the founder of Kamza Itri in Sydney's Inner West, Sarah's commitments extends beyond her restaurant to amplify the collective call for free Palestine. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Lovely. Sarah, before we get into talking about the action that's ongoing at the moment, can you tell us a bit about what Families of Palestine is about? Yeah, so Families for Palestine is a group of families that came together in October and have been um, planning different actions together and activities for like-minded people uh, to come together and um, have discussions about what's going on in Palestine. And they have been sitting outside of Anthony Albanese's office every Thursday morning at 10.30 for the last four months. And they are waiting for Anthony Albanese to listen to them. And he has not done so yet. So, yeah, that's uh, where we're at at the moment. Um, We're in a 24-7 picket outside of his office and we're not going until he listens to his constituents. Mm, I see. But then the event for that's currently ongoing at the moment where you're sitting outside... Uh, Albanese's office in Mav- in Maverickville in New South Wales. It started in from eleven Feb, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and yeah. So, so on eleventh um, of February, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, eleventh of February, um, we were at the rally in the city at Hyde Park that Palestine Action Group and Palestine Justice Movement organised, and um, a friend who I. Ha- like, we, we've all been speaking about needing to do more because, you know, we have been marching for four or five months and no one has listened. So uh, a, a dear friend of mine decided um, to send me a selfie sitting outside of his office on Sunday after the rally. Um, and my response was, I'll, I'll be there shortly. I'm on my way. Mm. So we have been there ever since that Sunday. And um, it, it's grown. From the first night, we had about eight people. Mm-hmm. And then the next day we had about a hundred people, um, and hundreds of others that have stopped by. 
but um, there's about 10 to 15 people that stay overnight. Mm. And um, it's uh, Families for Palestine are organising the roster. Uh, they've done all the guidelines and all the assistance um, in sending out over 180 media releases. We've no, and we still have not received any adequate coverage, except yesterday um, it was um, shown on, t- on a TV bulletin, news bulletin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was on the eighth day. Mm. And. Can you tell us a bit more about why have you decided to initiate this ongoing action? Like, what are your key objectives here as you're sitting outside? Grace, I think we can all agree what else is there left to do. People have um, lobbied. They've sent all the letters to their MPs. They've gone to all the protests and the rallies. They've written all the letters. And a lot of people that have come by are feeling um, quite... Um, distraught that no one is listening to them. The people do not want this. They don't want our government to be supporting an ongoing genocide. Um, Anthony Albanese's language is very offensive when he calls Israel a friend of Australia. But we are also not surprised because we are on stolen land. This is a colonial project exactly like Israel is. So we're not shocked and we're not surprised, but There is a bit of disappointment since Anthony Albanese was a founding member of Friends of Palestine when he was in his uh, younger years, and he used to take to the street for Palestine. So we also want to remind him that he was one of us. He used to rally like us for Mm. Palestine. So we want to remind him his stance back in the day and probably also what had him voted in a lot of the community thought that he was the person who was going to listen to them and that he's proven otherwise. Mm, Yes, definitely. And this uh, ongoing action has been... has been it started since 11 Feb, so it's it's basically been about eight days now, as you also have mentioned. Uh, yeah. I think one of the key concerns, if uh, people want to come in to join this, is in terms of the security. So, was there any security present at the moment when you were on the ground? Like, how uh, we is don't it? have security, but actually, we're only around the corner from the police station. Mm-hmm. Uh, the police have constantly come to check in on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marrickville Police have been uh, very cooperative. Um, because it's also um, the Prime Minister's office, there is um, AFP that have been um, around. Uh, But we generally have looked out for each other. We've all Mm. felt uh, very safe. Um, We have a security phone. Um, We have a whole guideline for people to follow, so they have to read it before they um, um, join and just... Um, just so they know all the procedures to take in case there is um, a safety concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some, um, we do have supervisors. So the supervisors are the ones that hold the security phone and um, give people inductions um, when they arrive. That's good to hear. And Sarah, you basically, you're the founder of Kamza Yusuri, and this is a family run joint serving Palestinian cuisine. How have you been committing in apply, amplifying a collective call for a free Palestine? Uh, look, Grace, when you're born Palestinian, um, there's nothing you can like do to you know change that. You're born um, with a 
fight inside you for your people and for their freedom. Yep. And especially when you're living abroad and you can use your voice um, for them, then I think there's nothing more important than doing that. Um, and especially in Australia where there's a lot of censorship and Palestinians are censored um, and also um, a lot of people um, deny their existence. So that was very important for me um, in terms of my business. And, um, you know, I always wanted a, a food business. And I thought, well, I'm Palestinian, so it, it must be Palestinian. And um, I have to reclaim our culture. You know, genocide is there's, there's a lot of factors um, that have occurred before what we're seeing in October. And one is cultural theft. And that is, um, you know, our traditional dress, our dance, our song, um, and our food. So reclaiming our food and also making a safe space for people to be able to come to a location um, and know that, you know, it's it's um, it's we practice intersectionality. Like we, you know, it's a welcoming and open place for people to come together and enjoy a meal and learn about Palestine. I see. That's amazing. And so, Sarah, how can listeners join in to support this action for whoever is in New South Wales? If I mean, in the whole of Australia, like if people if people want to fly down and join us as mm. well, they can. Um, you know, we are there twenty four seven. They can contact families for Palestine mm-hmm. on Instagram or social media and um, get in contact with the um, people on the roster. Um, or they can just come down if they don't want to be on the roster. If they have an hour to, sh- to spare or two or three or, you know, a whole week, um, until our demands are met, we won't be packing up and going. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been lovely having you. Thank you, Grace. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Sarah Sawish who is the initiator of the Families for Palestine ongoing sit-in action outside the Prime Minister Albanese office in Maverick, New South Wales, bringing her Palestinian heritage to the forefront as a powerful advocate against the genocide in Palestine. She's also the founder of Kamza Eatery in Sydney's inner west. Sarah's commitments extends beyond her restaurant, which have been used to continuously amplify the collective call for a free Palestine. Tickets are now on sale for the 2024 Marxism Conference, happening over the Easter weekend. The Marxism Conference is one of the biggest gatherings of revolutionaries, radicals and activists from around Australia and across the world. Three days of discussions, interviews and debates on key questions and themes for socialists, covering radical working class history, Marxist fundamentals, left debates and global struggles happening today. With our world entering a new era of accelerated climate crisis, economic chaos and rising imperialist tensions, it's now more important than ever for socialists and anti-capitalists to get together to discuss and debate ideas for a world in crisis. Lock in your spot to Australia's biggest socialist conference and grab your tickets now at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM and just, just now I was speaking to Sarah Sawish who is the initiator of the ongoing sit-in action outside the Prime Minister Albanese's office at New South Wales. 
So if you're heading to New South Wales anytime this week or whenever you are, the Satan is currently ongoing at 334A Maverick Maverick Vale Road, Maverick Vale, New South Wales 2204. And this has been on this has been an ongoing thing since Sunday, eleventh of February, twenty twenty four, six PM. So you can go there and give your support and help to uh, join the culture and action and support. Just join us event uh join the sit in, attend the vigil and show your support for peace and justice. And also of course journalists and media outlets are invited to cover this peaceful demonstration and bring attention to the urgent issues at hand. Uh, but for those who are going on social media and have social media, share updates and use the hashtags kibbutzalbo. Uh, that's pronounced as K-I-B-B-U-T-Z-A-L-B-O or another hashtag camp for ceasefire or another hashtag families for Palestine to amplify the message. And now we're going to get to camp sovereignty updates. So... At the moment, as usual, it's still ongoing. It has been every day. There's dinner, there's dinner served at 7pm, a smoking ceremony at 8.30pm. There's a coronal inquest for Josh Kerr, which is 10 to 4, 10 to 4pm 4 every day on weekdays at Coroner's Court. And again, there's many different rays of events and readings, including artworks and shows that's happening throughout the week so for today there's communal fam there's a communal family histories workshop at that's at 9 p.m and for tomorrow there's a reading group at 12 p.m and there's a crime scene australia workshop with uncle robbie top and his and the friends at 6 at 8 p.m so and there's way more other like film screenings including including other many more workshops and happening throughout the week. So yeah, do head down there to Camp Sovereignty at King's Domain Resting Place to to participate. Uh, but of course, if you want to learn more about the events and get a reminder of them, you can follow Black People's Union or All Country Calling on Instagram. And we're just coming to you now with some breaking news. Uh, some pro-Palestine activists have this morning shut down F-35 striker jet parts manufacturer Rosebank Engineering, located in Bayswater. Eight activists have occupied the roofs of the factory, flying Palestinian flags and dropping banners, some of which read Stop Arming Israel and No Contracts with Israel. The morning shift has been prevented from contributing to the global supply chain of parts for F-35 striker jets used by Israel to drop bombs on Gaza. The company is the sole global producer of the F-35's uplock actuators that open and close the weapon's bay doors, enabling it to drop its payload. A spokesperson for the group, Cat Moore, says... We understand that F-35 parts, F-35 parts manufactured in this factory are critical to the operation of the F-35 Joint Strike Fighters and that without them, the F-35s would be unable to release bomb payloads. Our government has failed to withdraw Australia's exports to the F-35 global supply chain and, as indicated by the ICJ ruling, is courting complicity in genocide. 
As our government yet again fails to act, we feel duty-bound as human beings and citizens of the world to take direct action to prevent further acts of genocide by Israel. Uh, the organization is calling for people to help attend the occupation of the manufacturer out in uh, Bayswater, uh, Rosebank Engineering it's called, um, to continue to prevent the manufacturer from producing the parts that it makes. Uh, you can find them at 836 Mountain Highway in Bayswater and you can find more on the Aka Waka Instagram, that's A-K-A dot W-A-C-A Instagram page. That's uh, pretty much all we've got for you um, right now at 3CR, but uh, thank you for listening. Um, you can find, wow, uh, pretty much you can listen back to all of our segments from today on the 3CR website or on the Community Plus app. Um, and coming up next is women on the line see you guys next week 3CR Breakfast you've been like listening to, to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community venue, radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia you can find for more information the go to all the w's. 3cr.org.au keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au